coming up in this episode of Finding Common Ground. Well, I think the Palestinian people are probably happy to see Hamas go. If they've been held under their thumb by fear and and uh, afraid to do things because they possibly get killed. They had me as a young kid, Bill, talk about how we love those fields of cotton on bright September morning. So, you know, we love South Carolina, the place we were born. So I was miseducated, Bill, I was miseducated. And he was telling us that when they got there, there were cars lined up, still full of people that they had just murdered in their cars. There are two sides to every coin. How do we deal with racial issues when they affect relationships? Finding common ground on all those issues that we come against. There's black and there's white. And I think as Christians, we have to learn how to get together because we're not in heaven. I've met more interesting people just by God just bringing them in. Republicans and Democrats. But a lot of times when it comes to race and it comes to culture and it comes to perception, Even as Christians, we don't always understand. We look at it through our lenses. There's Bill. I grew up in a suburb of Cleveland called Parma. Uh, Any black people in Parma? There was not one. Not one black person, Bill? Not one. Come on, Bill, you got to have one, a token black person, a token. And there's Odell. I grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, public housing, single mom, divorced single mom with four kids. And I came up through segregation and all that kind of stuff. If a black person drove through the town, the police would stop and escort them out. Bill and Odell are finding common ground. A part of what we have to do is listen to each other, find the common ground, and question, not questioning you like you're on a witness stand, but questioning you for a better understanding. Dear Heavenly Father, just thank you for this day. Thank you for an opportunity to come up and visit uh, our rabbi and his family and and have some great fellowship with uh, Lenny and Alan Samet. Thank you for the safe trip to New York City. Let's give us safety as we travel back home and uh, let this story uh, be enlightening to our listeners about what's going on in Israel with Hamas. Amen. Father God, we just thank you for grace and mercy. We continue to pray protection, understanding, and for peace. Amen. Rabbi, you want to pray? Absolutely. Let's uh, remember God is our creator, creator of us all. And as our creator, God wants us to choose life to make the decisions that help God's vision of the world flourish in our world. And that means respecting our diversity. And it means making the sacrifices that we have to, to get along and to cherish one another. And maybe find all within us the wisdom to do so. Not just here, where I'm lucky to have two very good friends on the screen, but around the world where we have conflict and strife. And uh, let's all find the way to uh, mend those fences and get past those tensions and live more in God's image. And you could say I'm into that. Amen. amen. Definitely say amen. Hey, Odell, how you doing? How's how's the weather down in Greensboro? The weather down in Greensboro is nice. 60 something degrees. So we could go work out and continue to be the slim and trim, good looking black guy. But what, what's <laughs> more important, we want to know how did the rabbi trip go? Because I heard that you had a very interesting trip, my friend. Thank you, Odell. Yeah, it was incredibly Powerful. You know, the kind of trip where you know you're in the right place at the right time. Why don't we give the backstory? First off, Dory and I are up here in Roslyn, uh, New York, with the Samets visiting the rabbi. He uh, moved on back in June, I believe. And uh, he's got a big congregation up here. So we came and saw his synagogue and went out to dinner and 
Uh, we're looking to do some more socializing. He took the day off for us, and uh, we just had a wonderful lunch. But uh, the backstory is uh, the Rabbi Ben Gideon went to Israel, and what I call almost a missions trip from the standpoint of to be a witness. And I'll, I'll let him give the backstory on that. Go ahead. Absolutely. So I think many of us, <laughs> pretty much everyone, to be aware of the fact that there's a war going on right now between Israel and the governing authority of the Gaza Strip, uh, known as Hamas, a terrorist organization, and that it began with a horrendous slaughter of over 1,200, mostly Jews, but also Muslims and Thai people as well, among others, in the early hours of October 7th of this year. And what uh, a number of us have done is gone over to Israel to both bring a sense of love and support to Israelis and also to to take witness and to be able to testify to what we've seen because already it's amazing how quickly but already there are many people around the world who are denying that it happened or that it was as bad as it was somehow because it happened to Jews it's something that people feel free to uh question the veracity of or to suggest that it's uh you know an exaggeration yeah it's it's amazing how people can take that and even people today think the holocaust was an exaggeration or to even deny it happened you know i remember the first time i went to uh, auschwitz not that i've been there more than once but the time i went to auschwitz it was still a communist country in poland and we were adopting our daughter and uh, we had some time so we they asked would you want to go see it and and i was quite honestly intrigued for a couple of reasons. One is I'd heard quite a bit about it, and uh, I wanted to see if it was being exaggerated, if it was as bad as it said. So when I first got there, I was a tourist. I had a camera. I was taking pictures of the gate that says work. What is it? Work and fr- work, work will set you free. Work will set you free. And taking pictures of that and taking pictures of some of the other things. And then when I got inside of some of the buildings and saw some of the terrible, terrible things that were done, I could no longer take pictures. Mm. It was not a tourist site. It was an experience. And it was something that shook you to your soul. It really did. It was it was immense. So Odell, what uh, Joshua did, he flew over there, and he has some pictures that he shared with us. He actually went to some of the kibbutzes that were attacked and talked to some of the folks. Wow. Yeah. Rabbi, can you share? Because I remember going to Israel on numerous occasions. So I understand the kibbutz. I understand everything else is going there from what we saw. But mm-hmm. I have no idea other than what I see on cable TV of what actually happened. And we know that media don't always get it right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Sadly. So the Gaza Strip, right, which is this area that is between Israel and Egypt, which Israel withdrew from in 2005 or 2006, I forget the exact date that they actually withdrew, but withdrew all forces, pulled back, and sometimes with force, had to expel its own citizens from settlements that had been built in Gaza, right? But the Israeli army forcibly took Israeli citizens from those settlements because they didn't want to leave. They were, you know, ideologically committed to staying there. But the the government, the people had decided that they needed to leave and to make space for the Palestinian authority to govern itself. 
And there were even collections in America of millions of dollars to pay for and leave behind all of the agricultural technology that had been used by those settlements to leave it for the Palestinians. And what did the Palestinian Authority, what did Hamas do in Islamic Jihad? They went in and destroyed those things. They went in and destroyed them so that they would not be able to be used by their own people to be more prosperous and to be able to create a better future because they want to keep them in poverty. They want to keep them miserable. So that's the Gaza Strip. And across the, you know, right next door are kibbutzim. These are collective communities where people farm together. They have their own homes, right? But they do certain things together, like uh, they might eat together or they school together, other things, but they have a kind of a collective agricultural industry. And it's right there on the border, right? So this kibbutz has been there for a long, long time. And in fact, employ or used to employ Palestinians from the Gaza Strip so they could have income, right? To bring money back. There are a number of people on the kibbutz who also worked to make, uh, to mend fences and to create good relations. But it turns out now that those were all used by Hamas for horror. And they sent people, or they, we don't know if it was by force or if they were um, undercover, but they mapped out these kibbutzim, even to the point of knowing which families lived in which houses so they could target certain families for slaughter. And so we went in and we were there six weeks after this happened, still destruction all over the place. And it reminded me, part of it reminded me of Katrina, after Katrina, if you remember when they would show, even when the, the waters were still there and they were going by in boats, and you'd see the spray painting on the front door of the house or near the door, selling, telling you when that house had been cleared and how many people, if they were alive or dead. And that happened here on every house. And the attack was on October 7th. And what was really striking about it was that the dates that they cleared a lot of these houses wasn't for three days. Right? It took three days to get every terrorist out. There were hundreds of them in there to the point where there was one who had hidden away somehow so successfully that he stumbled out two weeks later and surrendered, dehydrated without food. But that's how many had penetrated the fence and had gone through. And what we saw you know, was the destruction, the burnt houses. We saw where people who we had met only the day before their relatives they told us like their house, they told us how their family had been killed. And we saw some pretty horrific things like a pair of 10 month old twin boys whose parents were murdered very quickly. And then they used the crying boys as a honey trap to get other people to try to free them. And then they would come up and they would kill them. So just, we saw like all kinds of destruction that were uh, undeniable you know, in terms of its horror and its uh, fierceness. Rabbi, as a leader, how do you comfort your congregation? How do you lead your congregation through such a time as this when many of their family members, member people who they know, this is not TV for them. This is real. How do you lead them and who takes care of you? Hmm. Thank you. That's a, I appreciate that question. Um, you know, we gather, we get together, we um, we pray together every day. We include Israel and the victims of these continuing hostages. We keep them in our prayers every single day. 
And by the opportunity to get together, that's where we begin. And then how do we make a difference? Right? What do we do to help contribute to the strength of the Israeli people and to the soldiers who are fighting, not just for the state of Israel and to protect it. And let's remember that the Israeli army is not just a Jewish army. It's mostly a Jewish army, but there are also Christians, there are Muslims, and there are Druze who fight as well. And uh, they are fighting fiercely too. So one of the things that we do at our congregation is we are writing letters to soldiers who are serving. And there are mostly Jewish soldiers from around the world who dedicate themselves to this purpose. They go over to Israel, they make Aliyah, as we call making to becoming a citizen, and then they serve for the three and a half years or three years in the army. And uh, their families are in South Africa, they're in America, they're all over the world, right? So we have some connections through friends who are Israeli, and we are writing letters, personal letters, to soldiers like that. And uh, we write a letter by hand to them and then scan it. And we're able to, through the army, get it to them as a PDF, which they can open up on their phone, wherever they are in Gaza or wherever else it is. And so that's a way of giving them a sense of support and strength to know that they're fighting, uh, not just for themselves and the country, but for all of us around the world. And that makes, I think, my people feel much better to know that they're doing something. And also, you know, we've given a lot of money and uh, through national organizations, you know, the American Jewish community has given well over a billion dollars already. And our congregation has given, uh, in addition to those efforts, about $350,000 since the start that we've directed to very specific causes, ones that often would be under the radar, you know, of the big organizations to really to be able to direct it to, um, very particular things like I have a friend who's serving as a combat medic and they needed warmer rainproof jackets and they needed uh, headlamps, right? So we were able to get them there through one of our, a, a couple of our Israeli people who have been doing this kind of work. That's like a, and, and other things to uh, soldiers who are in need, but also we've sponsored first responders from America to go and backfill for the first responders in Israel who had to report to duty. And even uh, an amazing organization called The Equalizer, which uses sports to create opportunities for Israelis in underprivileged communities. And they're now doing that for the uh, Jewish children, mostly Jewish children, who've been displaced from the North and from the South. So we've sponsored a soccer team through that, and they get all kinds of support, educational, social plus the coaching and being able to play, which is a, a normalcy for them, which is a good thing. So knowing that people are doing it, you know, ma- making a contribution, that's a huge thing. And it's very positive. And I think that helps a lot. Did you think the ceasefire, well, the pause would last or what's your thoughts there? Because what we're hearing on TV mm-hmm. is that is still a whole lot more hostages bill, but some of them won't be released because of they're concerned about what happened to them, why under Hamas capture. Can you all, anyone talk about that? Is that rumor or do we believe that is truth there? And if it is, what documentation do we have, if any? Well, we know that there are over a hundred and I think over 140 hostages still being held or certainly missing. They could have killed them all by now for all we know. Although none of us are in military intelligence, so it's not like we have 
the information that's available right now. But we know that they have not released any of the soldiers who were captured, nor have they released a number of women. And it just so happens that most of those women are young women. And that uh, the fear is that based on the testimony of a number of witnesses, that there was incredible rape of women and of men going on on October 7th. Wow. That um, I never heard that before, Rabbi. I'm, I'm sorry. Bill, have you heard rape of men? No. I mean, not this thing is, this is yeah. inhumane. That's the word I, I think I want to use. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was all, it was incredibly inhumane. You got them. Everyone knows about the dance party, I think, the Nova party, right? That was uh, uh, where there was a lot of slaughter going on. And we talked to, uh, the spokesperson for the police, this, you know, the, in Israel, the police is a national organization and we happened to meet the spokesperson and he was telling us that when they got there, there were cars lined up still full of people that they had just murdered in their cars and the bodies were just still there, right? It's things that we can't even imagine and how horrible they were. And uh, the video is available, you know, but we don't want to show that no one should have to watch that to believe it right and um i have refrained from watching those things because you know i take (laughs) i know people who've seen it i take their word for it and i don't need to see that kind of thing but the terrorists said they had video they took video they were proud of what they've done you know so we know that there are still hostages and if they're not hostages, they're still their bodies, you know, that we that Israel would want back. And we also know that Hamas uses every opportunity only to accomplish their evil. They have no compassion. Not only do they have no compassion for Israelis, just to give a vision, an insight, the very first first responder killed on October 7th was a Muslim Arab. Man, he was a uh, paramedic who went in and he said to his partner, I'm a Muslim, I speak Arabic, I'll be safe. Not only did they kill him, but they mutilated his body, right? They use every opportunity only to advance their evil. They have no compassion, not only for Israelis or anyone there, they have no compassion for their own people. They use them as shields. They use them as um, excuses. There's no way to trust or have any kind of working relationship with an organization like Hamas, which is only dedicated to the destruction of Israel and the murder of Jews around the world. And I'm not making that up. That's what they say themselves. Just read their their own creed, their own rules say that's what they're about doing. So, Bill, Rabbi Odell, do you think that the Palestinian people may say we have Hamas in here that's caused so much conflict that the Palestinian people themselves will deal with Hamas. What do you think, Bill? What do you think, Odell? What do you think, Rabbi? Well, I think the Palestinian people are probably happy to see Hamas go. If they've been held under their thumb by fear and and uh, afraid to do things because they possibly get killed, why would you want to live under that? You know, it's not the way we in America think. And I don't see how that how that moves forward any kind of social justice or ability to move the people's standard of living forward or anything like that. 
it's just a terrorist tech. It's a bully's technique to control people. You know, you, you remember growing up what a bully would do. He, he threatened you so he could control you until you punched him in the nose. Then he, he walked away. And I think Israel is doing more than punching them in the nose. They're going to take them out. Yeah, it's impossible to know exactly what Palestinians who live in in Gaza or who live in the West Bank really believe or think, because if they express themselves, especially in Gaza, if they say anything contrary to Hamas, they get killed or their family gets killed. They just uh, hanged two men who they accused of being collaborators, you know, based on nothing. The very first, uh, when they when they took over, you know, Hamas uh, won an election and then murdered all of the opposition, right? Wow. So the the people who were aligned with the Palestinian Authority, the Fatah, you know, Fatah, they were all murdered back in 2006 after the election that Hamas won. And there hasn't been an election since, right? Uh, not a free election. So we don't know. But what we do know in polling of Palestinian Israelis, right? So you have 2 million Palestinians who are Israeli citizens. Mm. And they have right now the highest level of affinity and trust in the state of Israel than ever before. Mm. I saw a video of an Israeli soldier playing a uh, his violin. He'd been injured in the, in the leg, but he could still play his violin playing a Arabic song for the Muslim surgeon who had taken care of him. Wow. Because there are, you know. It's, so, it's, so you see what's going on in America, Bill. Rabbi, the students protesting uh, in Greensboro last night at the city council, protesting, condemning Israel. How, do you, how does that make you feel, Rabbi? Well, not good. You know, we have, I think, the, the biggest shock to a lot of my uh, people, and I'm sure a lot of uh, people in Greensboro, is how brainwashed, how uninformed people protesting are, and chanting things like from the river to the sea, or intifada or jihad around the world, right? Or by any means necessary, all of these things, which mean the murder of Jews. Mm. They mean the murder of Jews, and they mean that of all the different peoples around the world, the only one who should never have their own country are Jews. That's what those slogans mean. I hope and pray that they don't know what they're chanting. You know, I, I certainly a number of them do. But the ignorance is amazing. How uninformed about what Israel is as a country in all its per imperfections, just like America has its imperfections, right? so uninformed, so unaware, and chanting things that are violent, and then attacking Jewish students on campus, excluding them. It's very troubling. It's making people really question a lot of things about what they thought they knew about their home in America. Wow. Yeah, you know, we were talking about this late, earlier with Lenny and the rabbi, and uh, Lenny brought up a point that uh, a lot of the people there in Gaza, you know, don't like Hamas. They feel threatened by him, but they're afraid to do anything. And it likened it to Nazi Germany. Not all Germans were Nazis. Not all Germans were doing the killing and the stuff. It was the government that was running it. And then Joshua shared with me something I hadn't heard before, but I thought about it. It made a lot of sense. 
what we learn from the Nazis is it's much easier to tell a lie than to tell the truth. The truth is complicated. A lie is simple. That's a powerful statement. So, Rabbi, drill deep into that for me on what my good friend Bill just said. Hmm. You know, I went to school in South Carolina in the late 60s, early 70s, and they didn't always teach us everything about history. They had me as a young kid, Bill, talk about how we love those fields of cottons on bright September morns. So, you know, love South Carolina, the place we're born. So I was miseducated, Bill. I was miseducated. Let me tell you, I didn't see a cotton field in Roslyn. There you go. (laughs) We've had a lot of big lies in our own country. Some of them very recently. Right. That the election was stolen uh, in 2000. Right. That was a, a great lie. A big lie, a story, and we saw how many Americans believe it, believed it, and maybe even still believe it, some of them. You know, the simple story told over and over again has a way of creeping into people's uh, minds. The truth is always much more fuzzy, complicated, challenging. It takes a commitment to really engage with it. So, you know, when you hear these simple stories from Gaza and the, the press doesn't really not that doesn't really doesn't do anything to delve into the veracity, the truth of the statements. What we know is that any person who speaks on behalf of Palestinians through the UN or through any governmental format in Gaza is under the control of Hamas. There's no separation. There's no difference. Yet they report it as if, well, there's a health ministry and there's the militants and then there's the UN, right? All of them are Palestinians, and they're all controlled by Hamas. And if they don't say what they're told to say, then they get killed also, or their family gets killed. So that lack of any kind of clarifying, you know, work, you know, when we had the um, the hospital that supposedly Israel bombed, remember way back at the beginning, and it turned out it was a Islamic Jihad missile, right? And uh, right away, this is a perfect illustration of what I was saying, right? That the truth is fuzzy, but the lie is easy. Right away, Hamas claimed it was Israel and there were 500 dead, right? Now, the thing is, if you blow up a building, do you know how long it takes to actually count and figure out how many people are dead? It takes days. That's why Israel's, you know, they're like, well, we don't know yet. We don't know yet because they haven't been able to get there or or quantify or or do the, the work. Right away, Hamas is like, yep, 500 dead Israel. That tells you right away that it's a lie because there's no way you could know that. It's just, just an obvious example. So, you know, it's uh, very troubling and disturbing to have those lies repeated on the front page of the New York Times as if it's actually news. You know, it's interesting. Back, and I hope, I'm sure both of you all remember this, when the George Floyd murder occurred and we had the peaceful protests which mm-hmm. turned into uh riots and vandalism i remember the two of you all walked downtown greensboro and saw the boards the windows boarded up with plyboard and you all came over to the baptist church and checked on me and just how much that meant to me as a black pastor trying to lead and help lead the congregation and other individuals through that. I just want to say how important that was to me. And for us to be here today talking through this 
letting you know that we stand with you, Rabbi. It's that's important for me also because you all stood with me. And I just want to say how much that means to me because that's how we're going to get past this in relationships and people who we know we can depend on. Amen. Bill, your thoughts before I start crying because you don't want the good looking black man to start crying, Bill. Yeah, it, it's not a pretty sight, I have to agree. Joshua, share about, uh, you know, there's some folks that are not. Jewish that have gone over to Israel to backfill some of the work, maybe become, you know, cleaners of clothes and cooks and stuff. And they've already got booked through January, I think, for volunteering. So can you explain that and how people could do that? For sure. And I just I want to just say to Odell, like it was that was, you know, a really important day. And I remember you being at the uh, the march, right, the protest. We went a number of clergy to to witness and to make sure that, you know, lies wouldn't be told. You know, there were a few bad apples that destroyed some windows. And thank God we had video, right? Because the police department could identify those people. They were not the protesters. Those were people who went down to sabotage and to make it look like something else, right? right? And that was called out, thank God, because uh, it was a very peaceful protest. You know, it was amazing. Police were handing out water bottles to the marchers, and it was... It was amazing. And to be able to be with you and to uh, be able to help bridge exactly what you said. That's, that's what this is all about, for sure. So, yeah, there are people are going over. They're volunteering to help because uh, it's a small country and there are big demands. And uh, the uh, you know farms need help. All kinds of places need help, including doctors. And they need nurses. They need emergency uh, workers to respond. So, there are some organizations called like Volunteers for Israel or SARL, where you can volunteer and go over and, and, and be of, uh, of service. And uh, there were, I think, some really great stories about, I think, some cowboys from Arkansas or Oklahoma who went over in the first couple of weeks, non-Jews. They went over just so they could help out and they were sponsored by their church. Right. It was amazing. So we're, we're seeing that in Israel. We see all kinds of organizations and people stopping and dropping and doing everything else so they can provide and help for those who are in need. So um, we have a sister synagogue in a, a city called Herzliya, and they have turned over their building to be a collection and distribution point for clothes and furniture and toys and other things for the families that have been displaced. Hundreds of thousands of people displaced uh, from the north and from the south, pitching in to care for one another. If we do that, right, if we just can drop the ideological hatred and difference and pick up the love and pick up the connection we have to each other as human beings, as people who love God, and as people who love this world, you know, then we can bridge any gap. We can bridge any difference. And I've learned a lot of that with the two of you, and I really appreciate that. Well, same here, my friend. Same here. Feelings mutual. Feelings mutual. Odell, when uh, I'll to let you, I'll try and get a copy of the videos that he showed us. But while he was there, he had to run because of air raids and the Iron Dome went off. You could see the, the rockets in the sky, or the, the, at least the exhaust from them. And then when he was down near, right near the, where in the kibbutz where it happened, you could hear the helicopters and the jets flying overhead and you could hear bombs going off. It was an active, in fact, 
they were getting a presentation from a PR person from the police department, and he asked the rabbis to move out of the way because they're in line of fire of possible snipers. As we turn the corner toward the end, Rabbi, help me understand it's a war going on, but also it's a war of narratives, too, with social media, with the press, because you just shared some things that no one's talking about. Yeah. You know, social media is a is a really dangerous thing. It distorts so much and it amplifies things that people find intriguing. Right. It doesn't matter if it's the lie or not, but if it gets somebody's attention, it gets amplified. And the truth can get just totally uh, buried amongst that. Social media is not a source, yet so many people are going to it as a source for information. You know, it's uh, it's incredibly disturbing that we see people who are supposed to be moral leaders, moral leaders, not be able to tell the difference between evil and good, and not be able to say that's evil and this is good. And we saw uh, yesterday the testimony of the presidents of some universities None of them able to say that chanting slogans that mean the death of Jews, right? That that's hatred and that it's, and that should be banned from their campus. And they wouldn't even answer the question if people were chanting that about Black people or Hispanic people or any other people, would that be okay? Wouldn't even answer that question because we know where that goes. Right. It goes to the place where they say, no, that would not be okay, but this is okay. And they can't justify that, right? So it's very troubling. And the social media, the propaganda, all that stuff is leading people to think things that are just so far from accurate. You know, we need to know one another. We need to have the experience of trying to understand each other's experience in order to be able to bridge these gaps and not fall victim to these vicious uh, lies and, and this propaganda that's circulating so much. Yeah, it sounds like they need to find some common ground. Amen. They need to find some common ground. Yeah. They need you. And to all my friends who feel threatened, you know, I've been there before. So when someone you like someone, you feel threatened just because they don't even know you, you know, anti-Semitics through the roof right now. I mean, and it's like we have to call people into accountability. So that's one thing I loved about calling the university presidents in saying, hey, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Freedom of speech. We all understand freedom of speech and we all understand hate speech, too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen. Well, Rabbi, why don't you close us out with a prayer for Israel and uh, give you a minute to think that through while I uh, chat with my good looking black guy, a buddy over here. You getting ready to go for a walk with Bev, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm going to have to go keep exercising, guys. One step at a time is working, 60-some-odd pounds off, keeping it off. Hey, it's just trying to stay alive, trying to stay alive. That's good. Doing a good job. Proud of you. Thank you. Absolutely. I think uh, Bill and I are going to go find some fellowship in a minute. Yeah, with Lenny. Yeah. Lenny around uh, something that we enjoy together. But uh, I'll tell you, like having met and been with soldiers who are on the front lines, and having friends whose children are there, none of them want to be there. None of them. They all want to be at home, at peace, working in collaboration with their neighbors of different nationalities and different religions for the betterment of all. And that's what they stand for. And 
we have to find a way to honor and learn from each other's differences as we work together towards the common good. And so I love your podcast because that's what this podcast is about. And I love our friendship because I think that's what that's our friendship is about. And I hope and pray in God that you will help us to build more bridges, to find more ways to link with more people in order to build more common understanding, more common good amongst our brothers and sisters here in America and around the world. And eventually, even between um, Israelis and Palestinians. Amen. Amen. Odell, go get your walk, buddy. Gentlemen, go fellowship. Tell Lenny I said behave himself, and he knows what that means. <laughs> Give Bev our best, okay? All right, save here. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Okay. Find Bill and Odell online at thecommonground.show. This podcast is a production of BG Ad Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is brought to you by Yes Weekly, the triad's largest circulated and best read weekly magazine. You can also find us online at yesweekly.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes Weekly, your trusted news leader for local arts, entertainment, music, food, and more for nearly 18 years. Whether you're a big, medium, or small business, managing and growing the bottom line is important. Focus CFO brings the experience and financial acumen of a Fortune 100 Chief Financial Officer to your company at a fraction of the cost. PL help, internal reporting processes, or any business transitions or events. Focus CFO will help you and your team have a CFO in your company's back pocket. Focus CFO. Learn more at focuscfo.com.